Hey friends, my name's Will. And my name's Hannah. And you're listening to the Spiritual Misfits Podcast. If you've ever found yourself on the fringes of Christian faith, this is a safe space for you. Your questions, doubts and hopes are all welcome here. We're creating conversations, affirmations, meditations and other resources to support you on your spiritual journey. And let you know that even if you feel like a misfit, you don't have to feel alone. Gabby and McCarley, welcome, very warm welcome to both of you to the Spiritual Misfits podcast. Hello, thank you. Thanks for having us. So good to be hanging out with you this afternoon. We met a couple months ago, a few months ago at Adamstown Uniting Church as part of a kind of conference type gathering called Mission Fest. And um, we can chat a little bit more about you know, that in a moment, but um, been keen to have you on the pod since meeting. And uh, we're going to talk about a whole bunch of stuff about creativity and worship and music and young people. Um, But before we get into any of that, why don't you both introduce yourselves, however you feel comfortable and give a little bit of your kind of backstory, who you are, how you got here. Maybe we'll start with Makali. I grew up on a local country, the Lake Macquarie. Um, it's part of my origin. I guess like my my faith journey a bit is like kind of grew up, um, I guess like liberal Catholic, you would say. My mum right. is religious. My dad's not. Um, so kind of grew up with like a fairly open faith. Um, and then when I was in high school, got quite involved in the Pentecostal church in, or in a Pentecostal church. Um, I think that was when like I started like writing music for church and, and kind of got involved in that. Um, yeah. Did like the worship leader thing. Um, yeah. And, and yeah, I, I don't know if, if you know much about the culture in those spaces, um, but yeah, they can be like, kind of poster child instincts uh, for young people who do that kind of thing. So, yeah, it was, like, sucked in. Or not sucked in. Like, I had a lot of agency in it and I loved it, um, but really in, like, the heart of that community. Mm. Um, yeah, throughout, like, my my high school years. Um, I, I feel like I should say I'm 24. So my, my story is, like, significantly shorter. I'm always aware of that <laughs> when I'm sharing it. It's, like, not well, quite as much We are genuinely... <laughs> we're different generations, right? Like you, you are both. Are you both Gen Z? Yeah, just, just cusp, yeah. cusp Gen Z. Yeah, I think okay. The the year earlier than I was born, I got the start of Gen Z. Mm. Yeah, you'll be the the wise sages of Gen Z in the future, like the elder Gen Z. <laughs> ah, the elder Gen Zs, the geriatric Gen Zs, one day. 
Yeah. Like the geriatric millennials. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I'm like a, <laughs> I don't know if I'm like a middle-aged millennial or where I, I sit, I'm, I'm 33, mm. but I have friends that are elder millennials. They're not that much older than me, but it's like a, mm. it's a thing. Like, you know, everyone is on the cusp. It's like, depending on who you're with, you're like, oh, I just want to nudge myself up a little bit into the next generation or I am <laughs> proud to be where I am. But we are technically different generations. Oh, it's such an help out conversation. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I'm always nudging, always trying to nudge up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> with, with, with millennials or with Gen Z. I don't feel like I'm a proper Gen Z because yeah. there's kind of an idea of who Gen Z is and they're all younger than me. Right. Mm. Um, like mostly just because I didn't have TikTok. Yeah, mostly. <laughs> like that's the defining feature of our generation. Yeah, yeah. No, I don't have TikTok. Not a proper Gen Z. Yeah. <laughs> well, you're on this episode at least partly to speak for every Gen Z out there. So, I mean, no you better get TikTok if you want to stay on this on this pod. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I should have done a bit of recon, a bit of research. Mm. Mostly it just gives me a headache, makes me feel really foggy-headed. But then <laughs> I do also have a bit of a complex about the fact that I don't have it. <laughs> we're, we're old Gen Z. Right. <laughs> we get headaches from TikTok. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I can completely relate. Don't worry. I don't, I don't want to go anywhere near that. So you're in the you're in the Pentecostal church, Macaulay, and you're like kind of loving it, leaning into that space. Yeah. What happened then? Loving it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that, um, I mean, there were always some things that didn't sit well, I guess, having grown up with like a more open faith, but um, really what um, I think as I like became more aware of my queerness, it started to fit less and less. And then eventually like when I was like about 18 and leaving high school, um, yeah, and started having more conversations with, with people about that. It just became clear that it was not the right space for me to be in, that I wasn't really welcome there and, and couldn't really be in the heart of that community mm. um, as a queer person. Um, yeah, so at that point I kind of, well, actually I went to another Pentecostal church. It was still Pentecostal but a little bit more open, open-minded and went to um, theological college for a year. With Mitch Forbes, actually, who will be known to listeners of this podcast. Yes. He was one of my, um, yeah, one of my teachers, my coaches. You lucked out. You got a good one. I lucked out, yeah. (laughs) It was, as you can imagine, quite a wonderful year. Um, It really opened my mind um, to different ways of of thinking about faith and to the diversity of Christian thought and practice. Um, Yeah, so then after after that, I moved to Sydney um, for uni. Um, and at that point, yeah, found a, a faith community that is, yeah, queer affirming and justice focused. Um, yeah, and really have found a home in that in that space, um, which is where where I am now. Awesome. How about you, Gabby? Tell us a little bit of the backstory of Gabby. Yeah. So. Um... I feel like my story is a little bit boring because I'm uniting church born and bred. So I've only ever existed within the one denomination. I haven't like gone and found things for myself and then arrived at a uniting church because I wanted to, because it was progressive, but kind of have been raised within it. Um, My dad's a retired minister in the uniting church. My mum's been really actively involved in social justice stuff in the uniting church. It kind of is deeply embedded in who I am. Um, so, you know, grew up as a minister's kid is always an interesting thing to do. Um, there's there's lots of dynamics going on there about, like, how visible you are in a congregation, especially when there's maybe, like, two other families with kids. Um, and so I did um, spend my early years in Sydney and then um, – spent my high school years in Maitland on Wanneroo Country um, and then moved back to Sydney when I was starting uni. Um, So kind of spent my teenage years being one of very few teenagers in my church. Um, Being a minister's kid um, but being really supported, supported in like engaging with music and leading worship as well probably in a different way but there was like a few friends and I would like once a month would do the music at church and so it was very much like a 
oh, the young people are playing music. We're so excited. Mm. Um, so that was lovely. Um, but there, you know, was like only a handful of us. Um, and so then um, came to Sydney when I started uni, not quite 18. I was so small. <laughs> um and kind of got involved with Christian Students Uniting, which is the uniting church kind of group on university campuses um, at, at UCID, um, and kind of got involved in those Bible studies and was asking people, like, you know, what churches are you connected to that I might have a look at? And, and Leichhardt Uniting Church was the top of the list, and I didn't get to any of the others mm-hmm. <laughs> because I went to Leichhardt Uniting Church and was like, hmm, I think this is where I'll stay. Nice. So that's where we both go now. As someone who grew up in the Uniting Church, did that, um, obviously the experience you have is the only experience you have, so you can't quite compare. <laughs> but, yeah. but thinking about uh, Macaulay kind of going through that experience of going to a Pentecostal church where there was a realisation that who I am is not quite welcome here. Hmm. Did you have that in a sense or did you, do you feel like being in the Uniting Church meant that you actually did not have to go through that experience? Um, I would say that being in the Uniting Church, specifically in the congregations that I grew up in, specifically with my dad being the minister and my parents both already being affirming of queer people, means that I grew up in largely progressive queer affirming spaces in church. I wouldn't make a blanket statement about the whole Uniting Church, but I kind of lucked out in a few ways there. And so I am really likely to have not have like internalized a bunch of the shame that some queer people have who've grown up in church. Mm. Um, I also like didn't as a teenager know that I was queer. It's only something that I've been able to come to terms with in the last couple of years because I'm in a community, a church community that has so many queer people who are at different stages of that journey of realizing who they are. It's kind of because I've been in that space that I've had that I've been able to properly reckon with my own queerness Mm. because I know there's a safe place to be in community with people. Yeah. So like we made some generational jokes before and to give slightly more context around when we met at this event in Adamstown, um, you were running a session, a talk together um, called What Young People Want. And um, I made a joke before about you representing all of Gen Z um, which you were very open <laughs> at that session about not representing all young people. But it is a, a like an area of conversation that hasn't really come up on the podcast yet. And I suppose uh, as a millennial, as a Gen Y, I really feel like my generation are like in some ways the epicenter of like deconstruction or whatever mm. words you want to use for that. Although you can make arguments that, um, Gen X are like, you know, their whole identity is around that kind of like disestablishmentarianism, anti-authority. And then I also see now more and more baby boomers kind of getting on the train, partly because their kids have been leaving church and asking questions. So it's yeah. all kind of interwoven, but I would be super interested and I am genuinely interested just in general around what it's like for younger generations um, right now in the current kind of moment of cultural Christianity um, in Australia. And so I'm interested for, for both of you, I know it's a big question, but as you look around your kind of peer group, is there a sense of deconstructing? Is that like a relevant kind of term? Or how do you think kind of people in your age group are generally thinking about or approaching organised religion, Christianity? What are some of the kind of attitudes um, that you see happening there. Do you want to go first? Mm, I, yeah, I, I feel like, um, yeah, it, it's funny in a way that we, we have kind of come of age in in a time when like people are talking about deconstruction, mm. um, but but probably not just about faith. I feel like in terms of lots of things, like this is the cultural moment, um, and in some ways it, it's kind of just part of like the Gen Z worldview is, um, yeah, de- deconstructing gender and, and race. So I, I feel like maybe that's a difference f- for, um, I, mean, I mean, it's not, I mean, you could probably say the same thing about millennials really. 
Um, but yeah, just I think deconstructing faith, I feel like for our generation is in the context of of the whole thing, like being like I think think at best Gen Zs have like a very critical approach to the world, mm. um, and at worst just a very cynical approach to to, to the world, um, and then yeah, church church and, and religion is sort of part of that. Like that's my initial thought. Mm. I I definitely think that deconstruction is still relevant because maybe we're starting that deconstruction earlier or maybe mm. we're exposed to those deconstruction ideas at a younger age, but it's not like we've been born into a world where there are no systems left to deconstruct. Like that's still something we're mm-hmm. actively involved in. Like we're mm-hmm. not there yet, right? Um, and and for me as someone who's grown up in progressive spaces in the Uniting Church, um, I feel like I maybe have less deconstructing that I've been required to do than some of my peers have coming from more conservative spaces. But that doesn't mean that I have no deconstructing left to do. It's kind of like my parents did some deconstructing in their 20s and 30s and passed that on to me and now I like pick up the baton and Mm -hmm. continue the deconstruction process just from like a different starting point from people who are maybe Mm. in more conservative spaces have been where that's been their upbringing. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. It sort of makes me think about, I suppose uh, for me, a part of my um, generational kind of narrative is that I can very clearly remember a world pre-internet and mobile Mm. phones. Mm. And that changed for me in high school when we all suddenly got email addresses and we all suddenly got Nokia phones. And then, you know, obviously that progressed into the iPhone and everything. And so in a way, I feel like there's a more a clear line in the sand between like the information age not being a thing and then it being a thing. And that mm-hmm. meaning that I had, I think I had a lot more attitudes that were, you know, there was no Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, where I'm watching other people kind of publicly critique concepts of race, mm-hmm. gender, Christianity. Mm-hmm. So all of that started later. Do you feel like growing up you've you've been exposed from an earlier age to those kind of diverse modes of thinking and critiquing Hmm. um i'd say yes because of who my mum is um she is a social worker and like an activist deeply passionate about a lot of those intersections anyway i can't remember a time when i wasn't a feminist Mm. um Mm. and so like some of my earliest memories of her like taking me to protests and stuff. So Mm. even though I didn't have access to the internet at at that age, I had access to a parental figure who was like actively engaged with what is going on in our world now. And so I think for me, the internet is maybe like a source to start to explore those things on my own terms and like find different sources of information that maybe I didn't have access to before. But I don't think those and, and in some ways, like, kind of explore queerness specifically, which, mm-hmm. I, which is something that definitely I have more access to because of the internet. Um, but it's not like those seeds weren't already planted in my life, I think. Mm. I think it's, it's about a relationship between access to the internet and taking ownership of that learning for myself, mm-hmm. I think, is kind of the distinction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I think it wasn't so much social media for me but I think I actually haven't been aware of this at all until right now that like podcasts were massively formational Mm. um like even with like thinking about like my own queerness um Mm. and and trans and non-binary I feel like we haven't yeah so how we (laughs) identify yet but for context um I can remember it was like listening to a a um the Bible for Normal People episode. Mm. Can you say, you can say the name of another podcast in your podcast, <laughs> yeah, right? That's absolutely. not like taboo, yeah. Um, where they were, oh, I can't, they were, I can't remember the name of the pastor now, but it was like a pastor who had done that journey with her church um, and like had done, been doing like like different, you know, had been looking online but at, at different perspectives, but it was mm. like hearing that story um, and hearing that that perspective um, and her rationale for it 
it was really when the penny dropped for mm. me, I think, about affirming theology. Um, yeah. So I guess that access to stories from so many different people is is a massively mm. formational thing. Yeah, and in terms of, like, who the storytellers are, like, I think I've grown up, like, hearing secondhand about people's experiences of injustice and oppression and, and how they're responding to that. But I think the internet gives us access to, like, hearing those stories from the mouths of the people who have those experiences. Mm. Mm. Um, yeah, and, and particularly, like, hearing about queer theology done by queer people, not just as allies, this is why we affirm queer people, but as as trans people, let's read the Bible through a trans lens specifically, and that's really powerful to open up. Yeah. Yeah, see, that's something that I just think when I was a teenager, I don't know where I would have possibly accessed mm. queer theology, for example. Mm. It existed. It's not to say it didn't exist, but I think that's probably part of the shift is that, you know, the um, the digital native kind of literacy for younger generations and just know how to Google or mm. TikTok, whatever it is that they want to learn about is such a new phenomenon and obviously one that will shift how people are formed to think about things like, yeah, institutional Christianity. Mm. And I suppose one thing that I've kind of heard when people are talking about generational trends is that there probably is a strong sense, and correct me if I'm wrong or tell me how this checks out with your experience, but that there is still a strong sense of spirituality mm. for Gen Z but much less found in identifying within an institution, mm. which would have been where that spirituality lived in previous generations. I'm part of the church or I go to church. Mm. Whereas I think there's probably a lot more Gen Zs who identify maybe with Christianity or with Christian spirituality, but who don't see that as deeply embedded in a local community or or an, in the church as institution. What are, what are your thoughts yeah. on some of that? Am I sort of tapping into something there? Am I regurgitating stuff I've heard that checks out with your experience of your generation? Or how would you see people's kind of understanding of spirituality and institution? Hmm. Yeah, I definitely think there's more of a wariness around institutions and more of a like critical thinking about what we're told by institutions rather than just absorbing it as given. Um, and I think also there's a there's a distinction between like I'm I'm spiritual but not connected to a community. I'm spiritual and com connected to a community, but I don't really know how I feel about the institutional church. Mm. And and mm. then I'm connected to a community and to this institution that is kind of a bigger community. I think there's kind of different stages there, and and each of those things kind of has a spectrum, right? Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Mm. Hmm. I think it's, I think there's something about like, like gen, like I feel like people our age feel um, just like kind of have a lower threshold for a lower tolerance for BS in a way. Mm -hmm. It's like, I think totally. where other, other people will stay in a space and say like, I really don't like, and this might just be the context that we're in as well, yeah. where a lot of people have left to come to um to the kind of church that we're in but but well I think other other maybe older people or maybe just other other people would stay in a space and they're like I don't really agree with this but but the community is mm -hmm. holding me here um I think yeah Jen pe people our age feel almost personally that value mm -hmm. clash um and that could be like maybe even a depth of relationship thing as well, just that we haven't yeah. been in those spaces for as long and so we don't have decades long, like unless it's the church that you grew up in, mm. not having those decades long relationships um, that would make you loyal to a, a community or to a church. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I definitely do think though that like that young people find spirituality in different ways and have no <laughs> no fears about like, the future of, of kind of 
like like I really do believe people find spirituality where they people who have a yearning for spirituality will find it. Mm. Particularly like I notice it with creative people. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's so much language around spirituality, whether or not you're connected to a religion per se. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. yeah. I think I think the the intersection of like queer communities and like those communities often being really creative, like mm. queer spaces can be some of the most spiritual spaces that mm. I've mm. been in. And the language is um, like so expansive and entirely um, removed from from like religious language. Um, but yeah, people people find a way. I think through yeah, usually through art has been my mm. experience. Mm. We were just talking before we started recording. Gabby recently won the Bread and Butter Poetry Slam, which is in Newtown, mm. right? Is that? It uh, has been based in Newtown, but that venue's just closed, so it's shifting to Petersham. But yes, okay. in, yeah. in a West poetry vibes. Yeah, and slam poetry for me, as someone who grew up in church and was was very have all, like church has always been a part of my life. Slam poetry is the the closest community experience that I have ever participated in. That that is doing a lot of the same things. Yeah, that I think. A church service is aiming to do. Yeah, it's there is elements of transcendence, meaning making, connection, community, mm. encouragement. In a sense, there's a kind of mission because mm. there's this, you know, go out, help people to live more fully into their creative expression. Come back next time. So that's an interesting. I think that is one of those spaces where people's spiritual um, appetite is being met. In, in a way that is very similar but not explicitly kind of religious. Yeah. Yeah, I resonate with that. I hadn't thought about it exactly in that way, but there is something spiritual about spiritual about like sitting and listening deeply to someone's story that they're sharing in poetry form. Um and also um as like as a poet I write a lot about um the intersections between like embodiment, queerness and the sacred. Um and so I've been performing a bunch of those poems at this slam and my kind of first instinct is, okay, probably the queer parts of me are going to be like more acceptable in this space. So when I like enter into a new poetry space for the first time, I'll perform maybe a queer poem, um, but not necessarily one that mentions spirituality. And then the the slam that I won, I was like, okay, I'm going to take a risk and actually perform a poem that is specifically about being a non-binary person of faith and that's what won me a slam I was like Mm. why was I why was I afraid like I kind of had assumed that people only view church or spirituality as a negative thing Mm. but people would come up to me afterwards and talk about how like whether or not they're connected to a church community now it was kind of healing to hear about it Mm. like explored in a different way or like there were queer people of faith coming up to me and saying I felt seen in a way that like like we don't often provide that kind of platform for queer people of faith to see each other and see themselves in other people's art so that was really powerful to know that like whether or not you're attached to a church institution there can be something powerful about engaging with these spiritual concepts together in Mm. that community space. Hey, I hope you are really enjoying this episode of Spiritual Misfits. You may have noticed that our episodes are ad-free and we don't have a Patreon page. We want our podcast and online community to be as accessible and available to as many people who need it without money getting in the way. I want to shout out the good folks at Meeting Ground Church who help make this possible. As a small alternative faith community, we see this work as our offering to the broader spiritual landscape of Australia and beyond at this time. We don't have any external funding. The resources used to create this show are truly from the grassroots. And I'm personally really grateful for every person who helps make that a possibility. If you do want to support the show, uh, if you have the means, here are three simple ways that you can. One, spread the word. Almost everyone who listens to this pod heard about it through word of mouth. You don't have to spread this good news to avoid any form of punishment, um, but if it's actually good, it's not that hard to share, is it? Two, rate and review. 
Uh, it genuinely helps other listeners find it and gives the show a little more cred. So jump on your listening app now and hit the five stars and write a couple sentences. Three, if you do want to donate some dollars, whether as a one-off or in an ongoing way, uh, there are details for how to do that on the Spiritual Misfits website and in the show notes of this episode. It takes a fair bit of time to create this work and we're grateful for every dollar given to help towards that cost. Your support doesn't earn anything around here. So whether or not you do any of the above, you are welcomed, you're loved, and we're glad you're here with us. Let's get back into the episode now. I mean, I think spiritual community at its best helps people to be seen. And part of the, like, the injustice of spiritual community gone wrong is when it tries to erase um, groups of people. And so... Poetry Slam is really built on this, I, I think, in a very deep way of saying anybody can come up here and be witnessed as they are. Mm. And there are no rules around who's allowed or who's not allowed to do that. So I'm stoked to hear you've been having that experience and that it's been mm. resonating powerfully with other people. So one of the things I wanted to talk to you both about that, that again, kind of fascinates me and it, it's kind of like alluded to in that, again, what young people want as a <laughs> session title. So I talked to my friends who a lot of us now have more progressive theology, me and Mitch Forbes, we talk about this all the time and we're like, it seems like um, there's this one idea that what young people want is a really good experience with lights and sound and production value and kind of what Macaulay you got caught up in probably mm. as a young person in a Pentecostal space. Mm. Those spaces or churches that are doing that stuff well are almost always um, simultaneously very rigid in their beliefs and doctrines and kind of who's in and who's out. Then we have the stereotypical uniting church that's much more spacious in terms of what people can believe. And yet, like you sort of mentioned, Gabby, you're like one of the only young people in that mm. space. Mm. As far as the creative side, the production side, the whatever, that stuff feels a little bit like, sorry, you can't have both. Mm. Now, this to me, I just don't understand why there hasn't been a greater emergence of theologically kind of open-minded progressive spaces that are really creative. Like we talk about slam poetry and things like that. Um, yeah, I mean, this is, a, this is kind of the general area of conversation I want to enter in together, not saying that there's like quick answers. <laughs> but have you observed this kind of like choice between good production value and rigid theology or open theology and kind of very average production value and what what do people really care about like in terms of what is actually going to draw young people into a community more if it's a battle for those two things or does it have to be a, a battle between those two things mm. yeah no definitely definitely have noticed that and yeah. and remember it was something that yeah it was like jarring is probably too strong a word but yeah when I first come, started coming to the church where I'm at now I was like oh like do people like just like the spinal block vibes during worship? Like mm. I I am feeling something in my body, I want to move, and, and everyone is like so um We don't move in the United Church. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, but but what actually what struck me more strongly than, than that mm. was that everyone was invited to be part of worship. Um and I think what was prioritized over having um a sound that was really sleek and well-polished um, was the inclusion of, of, of people who, who just don't have the capacity to create that standard. Um, mm. Yeah, but it created a, wor a worship experience that, that for me feels um, more just and just like more authentic and honest and more invitational. Um, yeah, so I, th I think that's part of it. It's just mm. like prioritizing inclusion over, over, um, like I know in like Pentecostal churches, excellence is the word. That's the word that's that the is word. used. <laughs> um, I th I think part of it. As I don't well, think I've ever heard excellence used in a church context. Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, I'll, I'll say that probably. <laughs> you can have excellence with exploitation, <laughs> or you can have exploitation-free averageness. <laughs> I think I think part of it as well is that like when you have um, well, this this is probably specifically in the context of music, which mm. you probably have like pretty limited mediums usually when we think about, um, yeah, cre- like creativity in church. But when when your like theology is more nuanced and mm. more ambiguous, it is it's harder to create like. It's hard to create a song line that you're going to feel really strongly about because it's mm. hard to feel strongly about something when you have like like ambiguous feelings. Mm. I don't think blend themselves mm. well to a kind of really empowering, strong worship, emotional worship experience in mm. a way. Um, That's really yeah, interesting. Yeah. Do you listen to Gang of Youths? Either of you? I love love Gang of Youths. No, I'm yeah. I'm a classical muso. I'm sorry. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I only bring that up because Gang of Youths have resonated so hard mm. with people kind of coming out of um, rigid faith structures, mm. partly because that's Gang of Youths, like that's their background. Mm. But it's interesting because that is just a, an, an example of nuance, ambiguity in very heartfelt Mm. very mm. honest mm. music that is resonating deeply mm. with large groups of people. Yeah, that's so true. Maybe the difficulty is um, within the like the constraint of a, a song that everyone can sing. Together. Yes. Yeah. Although, like, people, you go to a Gang of Youth gig and they have a stadium full of people singing along, so maybe that, that's a, a cop-out mm. to say that. Yeah, but I think it's also like it's the expectations of a space because mm. mm. no one's expecting either Gang of Youth style music or lyrics mm. in uh, a church. Mm. Um, it would, but, but I listen to those songs and I'm like it taps deeply into mm. spiritual intuitions mm. and an experience of, yeah, um, worship. Mm. Yeah. But it's not; it's a mismatch from what often we have expected from our kind of uh, sacred spaces, in inverted commas. Mm. Yeah, last last weekend um, I was in a songwriting workshop with the Brilliants, who are currently mm. doing Australia, um, and we ended up in this conversation about, like, how do you write worship music in a space where people are deconstructing and different people find different language triggering and Mm -hmm. how do you like hold that space for everyone do we just not have music for a while do we like do we just have instrumental music like how do we hold that space and it was a really fascinating conversation and like talking about like like are there ways that you can open up what has been harmful language to think about in a new or more expansive way? Like, like, um, yeah, like just different ways that we can use music in worship to like acknowledge that there has been harm done, but then like reimagine something more hopeful. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it was a really fascinating conversation. It didn't come to any particular conclusions because I don't think there is a one size fits all conclusion. It's mm-hmm. very much tied to what community you're part of. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it was really fascinating to talk about. Mm. I think that's part of the difficulty as well is like just people's associations with particular music. Like mm-hmm. there is like some music from Hillsong that is like, incredibly thoughtful and um like beautifully written mm-hmm. but we could never we couldn't play that at a service because people would yeah, walk out it's so tied to harmful experiences yeah so. yeah so i think that's that's part of the difficulty as well yeah yeah mm-hmm. i also do want to name that i think money is part of this um because my experience of of like some United Church spaces is that like like it the priority is on we need to like have enough money to employ our minister and our congregation is dwindling and like we don't have extra resources so of course we're not going to pay musicians Mm. like um whereas maybe some of those congregations where it's all about production value that's what they're putting their money towards um so there's kind of different priorities in how money is used 
as well. That being said, I know we're going to talk about Marion Street soon. We were able to get some funding through the Uniting Church to record those EPs. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of about like putting putting your money where your mouth is as well. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I think that's a great point. It's interesting. I think there's another thing going on there in some of those like again, I, I'm I'm not a Pentecostal. I'm more like comfortable critiquing my kind of Baptist background because mm-hmm. that that was my my where I grew up. Mm-hmm. So I can I can kind of more accurately, um, <laughs> you know, critique it. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is a common, uh, you know, I guess critique of Pentecostal spaces that is they're very good at building volunteer driven. Mm-hmm kind of production mm. that that is not always honoring the countless amount of hours mm. that people are putting in to build the thing where there's definitely a lot of money involved but the question of whether or not it's going to mm. the, the musician on a Sunday morning in a local context is is probably a question mm. but it, I think that's all wrapped up together hey like there is an investment in the look and the sound but then there's also building a strong culture of volunteers which is often about yeah. some of those simpler messages that maybe you were talking about Macaulay where it's like mm-hmm. we can get people to rally around our group being mm-hmm. the chosen ones mm-hmm. um yeah yeah well there's the yeah. whole there's the whole cultural yeah that, that creating that really strong it, to, to get people to, to give so much time to their church, um, yeah. Just, Which is something that it seems like a lot of this feels so tricky to me in terms of thinking mm. about the future of the church because I do believe that for young people and for myself as a young person, like it's such a powerful thing to feel that deep sense of purpose mm. and belonging mm-hmm. and to feel like you are part of a special group that are really making a difference in the world. Mm. And I still see that longing in groups of young people that I speak to or spend time with. Often it's directed towards issues of climate or, um, you know, other kind of advocacy pieces. But I do think the solution is not to stop calling young people into a a larger meaning-based story. Mm. Um, it's just to make it a more expansive and inclusive one perhaps. Mm. But yeah. do you still feel like, do you feel particularly for you, Makali, like having been in that space that was a bit more of that kind of energy and now being in a space that's really authentic and inclusive and just, which I hear resonates with deep values of yours. Do you ever, do you ever wish you could have some sort of like mashup of the two? Like do you miss elements of those previous spaces? <laughs> Yeah, I definitely used to. I, I, not not so much anymore, actually, but definitely for a few years, I, I really did. And that sense of um, of radicalism and thus having something that is very special and unique, um, and a sense of purpose that goes with that. Because um, I mean, I think that we do like we do have. There is a culture of. Um, like being very, like I think around activism, people do give a lot of time mm, mm. To, to things that are happening like associated with church, but it's usually something that you could also get outside of church. <laughs> like we're sure. not the only ones who are doing it. And, yeah, so you don't have that same sense of, of what you have being something really special. So, yeah, yeah, I totally, I totally did miss it. I, I don't so much anymore, maybe – I've just been like institutionalized. <laughs> oh, no. I'm not saying that you have to. I'm just, I, I'm, I'm curious about like, is there, is there an appetite for a future where those things really do come together in terms of the highly creative, um, experiential aspect of spiritual community with the really inclusive, expansive theology i like i think that's a genuinely open question because it feels like a gap that hasn't been filled yet and maybe maybe there will just be less like i think it's so true that thing about like the lower tolerance for bullshit that gen z has i think that's definitely a guiding value for whatever the future of church looks like for that generation like no bs Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah 
but will will there be an emergence of more kind of um yeah i mean it's there's lots of ways to be creative as well so i don't want to i don't want to just say that creative has to feel like a nightclub Mm. or like a or like a stadium concert yeah which is probably a good a good way to turn into some of the work that you have been doing um marion street you know you've been creating work that i think is really it's stirring it's honest it's authentic um you know well-produced music um that maybe is its own little local answer yeah to some of these questions want to share a little bit about how how that started and some of the work you've been doing in that space Mm, thank you for saying that um oh did you want to say that um, I just wanted to take an opportunity to brag about this human um, because um, Marion Street kind of is the two of us plus friends, but it kind of started with you because, um, like, I think we're kind of finding that balance at like Art Uniting where it's like a, a really creative space but also doesn't, like, expect so many hours of people mm. or that, that church is their whole life we're really fortunate that we have quite a few like trained musicians. I'm not the only alumnus of Sydney conservatorium in our congregation, which is kind of crazy. Um, and so like we've got good musos with possibly limited time. And so it's always a balance of those things. Um, but um, Makali just started writing these beautiful songs that we've been singing in community for like three years now that have become like part of the fabric of how, we do congregational worship like someone like remarked the other day about how um it's not really a like a united church service anymore if we don't have a gabby or a macaulay song um (laughs) at, at least one of them in the course of worship and so like, honestly, I started writing my worship music because you'd started doing it and I was mm. like, oh, that's so cool. I want to do that. <laughs> mm. um, and, yeah, you have this really beautiful way of kind of capturing the hope and the doubt at the same time. Um, mm. the, the first EP of Marion Street that's now out, if you want to go and listen to it, um, is that kind of is, – is all of Macaulay's songs um, and you've got this really beautiful way of, like, imagining a future – through the lens of like, like I don't want to say brokenness because that's such a loaded word, but like kind of acknowledging how hard the world can be, but also having having hope that there is a future to it. Um, Honest. Yes. Yeah. 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 Mm. That's my spiel. You're oh, cool. Thanks. Man. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I think those songs felt like the reason why I didn't want to just release them like as a solo project mm. was that they really did feel like they had emerged from that community, mm. um, from the culture of that community and just like the nourishing creative space of that community that will let you find words for the divine um, mm. and give you so much space to do that. <clears throat> um, and then being like a part of a community of creatives who played them and workshopped them um, and I think it was also like a, an idea that we could have other other people who are writing from a different perspective, who are not writing from um, always having been in the, the centre of the church, um, as like especially to have other queer writers mm. um, to bring that perspective to. Yeah, to, to creating resources for worship. Mm. So the, the whole mm. the idea of, of the reason why the project is called Marion Street is because that's the street behind our church, um, which is kind of just a nod to it, trying to be voices from not people who are usually at the front steps who you usually see when, love when, you, when you see church, um, the people who are there in the margins and writing from that experience of church mm. that mm. A, a lot of people resonate with and yeah Mm, mm. I think a lot of people are looking for for hearing that even if they're not from it like like even people who who, because of their identity are not marginalized in church just want a different sound and a different experience and different words Mm. that I think people people who haven't who have been alienated from that experience can bring because they've had to find new words yeah Mm. that's so beautiful I love the street behind. Mm. Very much fits with the idea of, you know, the 
the people on the fringes of faith who are, are kind of really close in one sense, but also to to the side of where it has traditionally been thought of as the the central um, location for it. Mm. Um, but I often find that those sort of edge spaces are where there's so much beautiful life giving mm. um, perspective to just waiting to be mm. heard mm. for people that take the time, sit mm. there, walk there. Um, we're going to play some of that, some of that music um, during the episode, and people should definitely go and check out the EP. Um, and there's another one on the way. Yeah, am I correct? There is another one <laughs> in a matter in, of weeks. Yeah, eleventh of November. If I don't know, Beautiful. if it will be out by the time this. And Gabby's also this weekend. We are starting yeah, recording. We're starting recording the third EP, EP this weekend. Of their music, so <laughs> oh wow, there's more coming. Mm. So good. Do you want to talk a little bit more about how, um, yeah, how the the theological and the creative interweave in the process for you? Because mm-hmm. I think it's interesting that you know we talked earlier about queer theologians, and I think that's that's been a, a gift that has been a growing awareness that there are queer theologies, but that still kind of sits in the kind of academic headspace. Mm. Um, what does it mean for you to bring your full theological kind of intellectual self into the creative space and the mm. space of activating a different part of people's kind of being and engagement? Yeah. Um, for me, um, there's a very close relationship between my poetry and my songwriting. Um, actually, the first worship song I wrote is just like a setting of a poem that I wrote. And then kind of since then I've been exploring like what does it mean to write a song that isn't already a poem. Um, But they're very similar in content in that I write a lot about how bodies are sacred. Kind Mm. of if you were to like sum up what is Gabby's worship music about, it's you are created in the image of God. Um, And so um, I think while I'm not necessarily using words like queer within the content of the song that it very much comes from I'm a queer person who is journeying with my body and I write about that and and when I share those poems or those just fragments of words with friends it resonates with them and so it's like well what if we sang them together at church and then um like hearing the like kids in the congregation like know my songs and like mm. sing loudly about how their body is holy. I'm just like that's healing part of my inner child. Mm. And um I yeah, there's there's something inherently queer about being in a queer affirming congregations where we're congregation where we're singing about the holiness of bodies together in our bodies in a room. Um yeah. Mm. Love that. Mm. yeah i mean i feel i feel like all like all theology is is art and all all liturgy Mm, mm. is art like it's all part of that same project like we were talking about before of trying to find words for the ineffable um and trying to point to something that that we won't ever be able to capture in words um Mm. yeah i think i think actually we haven't really spoken about liturgy um, like explicitly yet, but I, I, I feel like liturgy is is such a powerful art form in its mm. in itself, mm. um, and in a way I wonder. So, so this is kind of returning to that previous question, but if in like more liturgical congregations that are a bit more cerebral, that has been kind of the creative medium that gets focused mm. on because there is mm. more. Um, just because of the structure of it, there's more space for nuance. Um, yeah. Just just being able to write in in prose, not in verse, I think can open up like more possibilities. But um, oh, I've forgotten what the question was. That I was <laughs> speaking to. I think that was a that was a great thought. Um, I think the liturgy is its own creative artistic work like you're saying mm. but um to to drop it down into into those heart layers or into those embodied mm. layers like like music can mm. um you know it, it all works together but mm. I, I love it i love what you're both doing um what you're bringing in that space mm. Thanks, yeah man. 
What do you like when you think uh, when you think forward, like <laughs> ten years? What do you hope is the kind of environment that a a local church invites a young person, maybe a queer young person, into? What does that space mm. look like, or sound like, or feel like uh, in your best imaginings? That's a really beautiful question. I thought you were about to ask me where I see myself in 10 years and that's my least favorite question, but I like (laughs) this question. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I I need to mm, sit with it for a mm, sec. Do you want to go? I I just think (laughs) something that's really participatory, that image of a poetry slam as being like church Mm, really struck mm. me. Um, I think a space where, where people are just invited to participate fully no matter who they are and, and where there is um, expansiveness in, the, in what they can bring and the type of mediums that they can contribute and the kind of language that they can use, the way that they can use their body in that space. Um, yeah, ju- just that that everyone is invited to bring who they are and what they are into the centre of church mm. and that there is not a mould that you have to fit um, mm. to be able to be at the centre with everything else that's outside of that mould sitting around the, the outside. Mm. Mm. And I think when those perspectives are brought to the centre, it changes the culture of the whole, of a whole church. Like yeah. particularly when, when if the, like the people who are bringing that, I, I think like particularly when they like, I, I'm thinking particularly actually about a community that I used to be part of um, with people with intellectual disability um, it was, um, it was, it was a faith-based space, um, where really the focus was on centering people with intellectual disability. Um, and just the way that, that because those people did not care about performing mm. the norms and, and didn't have the capacity to perform the norms or the awareness that the norms were there, just the, the freedom in that space that it's kind of like no one had to perform, like everyone was free to bring bring themselves as they were to bring, like you can imagine the kind of creative input in that space was very expansive in the kind of medium and form that you could bring. Um, yeah, so I think centering those people yeah. created such a freedom in that yeah. space. That That is my hope for, mm-hmm. yeah, the future of faith spaces. Yeah. I can, I can see glimpses of that now in our church through like the fact that there are two queer songwriters who get sung every other Sunday. Um, The fact that a bunch of the kids feel brave enough to grab a microphone that's not plugged in, but we don't tell them that and get up (laughs) the front with the band and sing along Mm. Um, and, and dance. And it's like, wow, those kids are already so much more free than, than Mm. I was at that age. Um, And so I think I'm getting little glimpses of what that future might look like. Um, 10 years feels like a long time when I'm 25. Um, but, um, yeah, just kind of for me, I think it's about like, what, what music are you seeing? What language are you using? Particularly for God, like, mm-hmm. like if, if a queer person, if, if a queer young person walks into a church in 10 years time and hears a liturgy that's been written through a queer understanding of who God is, then that is going to feel so much more home than if we are still talking about only Godfather, mm-hmm. um, God the Father, and so like the Godfather. Yeah, sorry, <laughs> not to be confused with <laughs> the classic trilogy. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, if it's like God as Father in itself, like is not a wrong image necessarily, but people have attached so much baggage to it. If it's just one image among a rotating roster where we kind of see the expansiveness of God represented in so many different kinds of bodies and outside of bodies and like just in nature all around us, like that's such an expansive way to think about who God is and therefore like decenters the kind of default images that a lot of us are unpacking now. Mm. Um, and just thinking about like, what do you teach in a Sunday school um, so that so that people don't have less baggage to unpack later 
like that's a we're we're about to start a Sunday school at Leichhardt next year because we've got so many kids now. And I'm like, can I please be a Sunday school teacher? Because mm. I'm really interested by that concept of like how do you give kids really solid foundations that hopefully don't come with as much baggage. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a, it's a good question to ask for sure. <laughs> well, thank you both for the insights into what all young people want and um, how we make church cool again. Um, <laughs> not, not to, um, you know, get all Trump on it, but, um, you know, some people seem to, seem to want to make church great again. Um, but we'll, we'll take a different path. Sorry, just rambling here. Um, make church in a daggy again. That's yes. Make really church daggy again. Love it. Yeah. Uh, what I hear is that young people want something real mm. and something that they don't have to discover that though it was attractive on the outside, it's, it's um, actually not welcoming of who they are on the inside. Mm. Do you mm. know? I think acceptance seems like a big thing, authenticity, Mm. Um, and still, I think a sense of, of purpose. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. So just, I'm going to give you guys the last word in a moment. Um, and then we're going to hear, hear one of your songs. Um, but what would be your final word for, for people listening as they think about, um, different generations and, um, Christian spaces and creativity? Um, I'm still holding on to this image of um, Poetry Slam as church and the way that, like, anyone can be a storyteller and the rest of us witness them in that. Um, I am a big believer in we are all creative beings because we're created in the image of our creator. Um, and so I, I'm kind of hoping that, that people will be kind of reckoning with like there aren't like taking away the barriers for certain people to be the storyteller, to be the songwriter, to be the person up the front, to be the person in the center. Um, I'm really excited about, about church that, that bears witness to the gifts of so many different people, be they creative or otherwise knowing that all people are creative. Beautiful. I don't think I want to add anything onto that and reduce the the power of that. Yeah, that was beautiful. Mm. Yeah, no, thanks thanks for for having us on. It's been a wonderful conversation. Yeah, such such a pleasure. Thank you both heaps.
Spiritual Misfits podcast is brought to you by Meeting Ground, a church for the misfits. We know we are only one small and humble faith community, but we're making this work in the hope that we can encourage and empower other people in similar spaces. If you haven't already done so, jump on our website, spiritualmisfits.com.au and join our mailing list to receive the Sunday message. No spam, no sales, just weekly encouragement around faith from the fringes. If you know someone who would benefit from hearing this episode, please share it and consider giving us a rating and review on your podcast platform or social media of choice. We'll catch you next time. Until then, take care and be kind.